Welcome to Into the Breach, a reps and warranties policy podcast by Brian O'Keefe and Jenna Usenheimer, partners and co-leaders of the Transactional Underwriting Council practice at Cyforth Shaw, interviewing leaders from the industry and exploring the latest developments, market trends, and news impacting RWI and the transactional risk insurance markets. Hello and welcome to the latest, greatest edition of Into the Breach. I'm Brian O'Keefe and joined by my fearless co-host, Jenna Usenheimer. How are you, Jenna? <laughs> I'm good. How are you, Brian? Good. It's been a very busy spring for us. We've had lots of deals uh, going on and we've uh, hit the conference circuit again, huh, Jenna? Yes. Lots of conferences, back-to-back, Connecticut, Florida, Chicago. You're going to be heading out to the West Coast. No, we've been traveling all over the place. So I thought, I thought, Jenna, uh, a question I had to maybe start today. So we, we've been at many of these conferences lately, and there were people who we actually met for the first time at the conferences who we had been working with an awful lot over the last couple of years through the pandemic, but we actually did not meet them in person until the, until the last few uh, conferences. So who was, who was your highlight? Who was the, this person's really going to become a celebrity now. Um, who was the person who you sort of really was the highlight and you finally got to meet him that you had been emailing with and Zooming with for the last two years? Uh, well, there's so much pressure to answer that question. Um, but so I would say, do it clients or industry people? Uh, I, all of you. You know, Uh-oh. threw it out there. Okay. Well, I think it's a three, it's a three-way tie. So I really, I spent, I spent, I feel like a lot of time during the pandemic communicating with Tom, who's now at CAC. And that was definitely a highlight to meet him in person and catch up and meet his teammates at CAC. So that was exciting. Uh, but I get when on the client front, meeting the guys, the many, many, many people that we met from CFC, finally, who came in from across the pond, and also a lot of the new team members who I hadn't met before from our friends at Risk Point were definitely my highlights. And what about you? Well, those were all excellent. I stole, uh, I stole all your answers. You yeah. stole all of them. You, you didn't steal one. <laughs> Who's the one that I would also add to this? And he is a listener of the podcast. We know this. He is a listener of the podcast. Who's our favorite financial advisor, but Mr. Richard Wu from Bass Oh, right. Richard Wu. I forgot. Me down at the Mohican <laughs> Sun uh, late night party that we threw. And I forgot him. about him. Yeah. And I felt like I know Richard because we've been on literally hundreds of calls together at this point. So Sorry, Richard. Uh, I forgot about him. I know. Him. So Richard is a yeah. podcast listener. So now he has uh, a shout out as well. So um, Hi, well, it was... I know. Well, it was wonderful meeting um, a, a lot of people uh, in person and seeing a lot of uh, folks in person over the last couple months. And we also saw another person in person at the Aon Conference in Miami, and that was our guest today, uh, Jonathan Sprints. He's a managing director at Blue Chip Underwriting, and Jonathan is going to be here to talk with us about underwriting healthcare uh, deals um, in the reps and warranty. Uh, space. Uh, this is a very hot topic. Um, there's a lot of healthcare deals out there and uh, just a lot of discussion about, you know, what sort of coverages are available, exclusions, pricing, and the like. And so we're um, so happy that Jonathan is joining us today. Thank you for being here, Jonathan. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. It was great to meet you in Miami. I, I was 
it's it's been really nice uh, after two years of not having conferences, being able to see everyone in person and, and meet new people. So it was uh, it, it was really great to see you and everyone else in Miami. So thanks for having me on. Our pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> well, we feel the same exact way and we're happy you're here. So Jonathan, if maybe you just want to talk a little bit at first uh, to the listeners about your um, just your general background and your position at, at uh, Blue Chip. Sure. So uh, I am a managing director at Blue Chip. My primary role is to underwrite rep and warranty policies. Uh, I also, along with two of my colleagues, Chris Opiso and Jason Tomitz, help sort of lead the day-to-day decision-making on submissions, although Blue Chip is really a very collaborative team and everyone's always weighing in and giving their thoughts on submissions and underwriting issues. Um, I also help with the training of, of newer underwriters and analysts as our, you know, like many other carriers, our team's really grown over the last year. Uh, my background is, you know, I, I started my legal career at Winston and Strawn. I was in the private equity group in the New York City office where I did mostly M&A for, uh, you know, a, a lot of clients who did healthcare deals. So I'm not a healthcare lawyer, but I was doing a lot of deals at Winston for clients that, you know, were in the healthcare space. Uh, and from there, I went to work in-house at a public company on Long Island called Henry Shine, which is a, a distributor of, of medical and dental equipment and, and supplies to office-based practitioners. So I was doing you know, in-house M&A there and working on commercial agreements, really kind of a, a wide variety of things. And uh, from there, I, you know, one day I got a call from Chris Opiso, actually, who I went to law school with. And he said, hey, you know, we've got this opening at Blue Chip, uh, would you be interested? And I said, sure, I'd be happy to, you know, come in and, and meet with the team. So I did that and kind of never looked back. And uh, now it's been about four years now, which is uh, kind of crazy how the time has flown. But um, yeah, it's been, uh, it, it's been, it's been great. And, uh, you know, Blue Chip's, Blue Chip's a great team. It was co-founded by Steve Anderson and Scott Fritz in 2017. Uh, they're both insurance executives with decades of experience in underwriting and brokering and claims operations. And Blue Chip uh, underwrites rep and warranty, tax, and contingent liability policies uh, in the United States. I think you know we're up to about twenty a team of twenty people at this point, including six uh, I think six full time underwriters, uh, a couple others who underwrite in addition to other roles at Blue Chip. Um, a great team of analysts. Uh, we also have a claims counsel, Christine Lewis, who's actively involved uh, with insureds and our insurer partners in the claims resolution process. So uh, I think like others, we, we really made an effort to staff up in, in response to the crazy <laughs> 2021 that we all had and are still maybe recovering. Say that again. Yeah. 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 Well, well, that's great. And I think I always, I always, all of our guests, they like hearing their backgrounds because, you know, none of us went to law school saying we want to be transactional risk uh, lawyers. So we've all kind of fallen into this in uh, different ways. So it's always interesting um, hearing stories like that and interesting uh, hearing your story as well. And, and uh, thank you as too for the additional background about Blue Chip, um, obviously a, a great insurer and doing a lot of terrific work out there. And, um, and you know, I think has been a leader in some of these specialized areas, in, in particular the one we're going to talk about today, um, so sort of the healthcare space. So I think maybe I'll just um, kick it off. I think that there was a perception and maybe it was even reality that, um, you know, years ago you couldn't get 
reps and warranty insurance on healthcare deals. It just was, you know, not something that the industry was interested in. And I think that that, uh, you know, that certainly changed, I believe. And I think that there, you know, is a lot of capacity now for healthcare deals. So maybe if you just want to talk a little bit about maybe that evolution and um, kind of where we've been at and where we kind of stand today in terms of, of getting insurance for healthcare related deals. Yeah, sure. And I'll say, you know, when I was at Winston um, in, you know, 2014, you know, there, there were, I was doing work for private equity clients and doing healthcare deals with rep and warranty insurance. And either you couldn't get it, or if you did, it would have a, just a, a standard exclusion for healthcare regulatory. So that just was excluded off the bat. And, you know, happy to say that you can absolutely get coverage for, for rep and warranty healthcare deals today. And the coverage is much more fulsome than you might've seen years ago. So I think the market's really come a long way uh, when it comes to healthcare. There are, like you said, uh, a handful of markets that actively underwrite healthcare deals, including blue chip. And I think there are others who will look at them here and there. So while you might not get, you know, 20 quotes like you would on a, you know, straightforward manufacturing deal, uh, there's definitely a market for healthcare. And um, like I said, it's, it's much more fulsome coverage than you used to get subject to, it being the right type of deal and getting the right type of diligence, which we could get into. But uh, yes, there's definitely a market for it. Well, actually, I think it's a good time to talk about the right kind of deal. So like, what is it that you're looking for in your submissions? Are there any kind of deals still that, you know, won't be able to get coverage or any kind of like portion of healthcare or like that's still concerning or problematic on the underwriting side? Yeah. So, I mean, I'd say for you know, blue chip, we do a decent amount of healthcare. I'd say that we have a fairly selective appetite, although we, we do look at everything. Um, on the provider side, you know, we tend to look for just kind of simpler niche businesses that can be subject to thorough diligence from a billing and coding perspective. Um, we've also done deals in, you know, healthcare tech and RCM providers, pharmacies, labs, clinical research organizations. So it's, you know, healthcare is a term that encompasses many different things, obviously. Uh, and so, you know, while we're fairly selective, we're, we're generally looking for simpler businesses. I, I wouldn't say, not sure I'd say there's anything that just can't get done, although, you know, I certainly can't speak for others. Um, from Blue Chip's perspective, I, I think there's certain areas, you know, hospitals or home health and hospice, uh, long-term care facilities, nursing homes. These are going to be more difficult. Um, anything what about like pain, pain management. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would pain think. management yeah. and anything that touches on the opioid epidemic, I think. So you know, <laughs> you know, they've said Fair. they'll use every tool at their disposal to address the opioid addiction crisis. And I think you've already seen them doing that. Um, you know, those are difficult deals. While I wouldn't say they, they can't get done in the market, there's probably going to be a much more limited appetite for them. And if you, if you do get quotes, they're probably going to be expensive and they're probably going to have some significant restrictions uh, around coverage. So, um, yeah. I think that makes sense. And I think as you were listing out, you know, I think we've worked on just about all of those different types of deals and we've done a bunch of um, like medical practices. That's another one I know we've done, you know, doctors selling their businesses. That's been an area Dentists. where the dentist, yes. A lot of private equity firms have been interested in like dermatology and other areas, very, you know, highly specialized areas where the, you know, the prices are a lot more. So I think that we've sort of seen the gamut of that. And then 
When you're looking at these deals, um, I think we have an idea of what the scope of diligence is on the regular deals. Are you looking for more, more diligence? What sort of diligence are you looking for? Yeah, so I, mean, I think on healthcare, we really are looking for pretty robust written diligence on healthcare mm-hmm. compliance and FDA regulations, if, if applicable. Um, there are some non-healthcare sectors where maybe you can get away with you know, a red flags report or even maybe non-written diligence for certain areas. But with healthcare, we really want to see fulsome written diligence from reputable advisors that have, you know, solid healthcare practices. So billing and coding is a tricky one. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, we like kind of simpler businesses that are easier to diligence and that don't use a lot of code. So you, you, know, you mentioned dental uh, we like those, um, you know, ophthalmology, uh, radiology. So deals that are simpler, don't have, this, you know, risks around medical necessity and things like that, and can be really subject to a thorough diligence process. Because I think, you know, the typical billing and coding probes, they're going to look at maybe 50 to 100 claims in a recent period. And it's, it's not a statistically valid sample. And Conversely, the sellers are making broad reps to compliance with healthcare laws going way back, you know, maybe six years or even more. So there's always a pretty big gap between the rep um, and a typical billing and coding audit. And mm-hmm. that's not to say that those audits can't you know, uncover a systemic issue, but, you know, we're, we're looking for at least, you know, at least 50 to 100 claims, ideally more. And then we're also looking at kind of the internal compliance program and other other diligence that you can look to, to, you know, are, are they doing internal audits? Do they have policies? You know, are they, they have a compliance program that's consistent with OIG guidance. Um, these are all things that we're kind of looking for in underwriting. Um, and that it, it's tough to get that information at the submission phase, which is what kind of makes it difficult. Like sometimes you, you get into underwriting and you realize there's maybe you realize that they actually have a really good compliance program or the opposite. And, you know, in the SIM or the management presentation, they really just don't get into it too much. So if I had kind of a, you know, a PSA for buyers and law firms, you know, the extent that they can provide information about the compliance program at the submission phase or, Hey, you know, this deal is probably not as risky as it looks on its face, you know, and here's why I think that that would be helpful. Yeah. And I've heard about the billing encoding. I've heard that from others too. I think the challenge is that it's so, um, you know, there's not a lot of like the standards are kind of all over the place and how the consultants are sometimes like making these judgments. And then yes, the sample sizes, is this really anything even close to a sample size that we can rely on for the broad, for the broad wrap? So I think that it is, you know, it is a challenge, obviously, the more, the greater sample size and the more robust um, we can have, the more comfortable we may be able to get that they don't have some lurking problem. But that's obviously one major difference between this and, you know, other sorts of areas to, that we see deals in. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's a tough job. And, and you know, so a lot of these practices, private equity firms, you know, they, they roll them up and, you know, that, that yes. presents its own issues. But when you've got, yes. you know, all these practices and spread out at, at different states and they maybe haven't been integrated. I mean, it can be tough, you know, in a customary M&A diligence process to really get a handle on what's going on at all these different locations. So, And how do you feel about, uh, you know, um, practices or targets that are heavy on like the Medicare, Medicaid reimbursement, does that make you feel differently than, you know, much more private payer side of things or, or do you just take it as they come really? 
No, definitely. I mean, I, I think, you know, the more government pay there is, the more, I, I think, the more risky the deal becomes. I mean, if you yeah. look at the amount of government spending on healthcare and just the rules around government pay and fraud and abuse and all this stuff, it's a very complex and active and aggressive enforcement landscape. And when you have government pay, that brings in, you know, the False Claims Act, which is right. that, that's their primary tool. And so there's treble damages and got key tam lawsuits and whistleblowers bringing suits and sharing in the recoveries so it's just an area that's just ripe for whistleblowers and enforcement generally when you get you know a lot of government pay and that's why i mentioned you know home health and hospice and you know, right. nursing homes you know that where they're getting a lot of government pay that's a lot of the reason but you know having said that you know I think you can diligence and assess the risk on those types of issues. Um, but we're taking a closer look at, at those types of deals at the submission phase. That, that, sure. That's why the private equity firms just want the dermatologist, you know, in like Palm Beach doing Botox, right? Like that's <laughs> much better. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. And then have to worry about the, the other stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah, right. Dermatology in South Florida is probably Yeah, the there you problem. go. Blue so. Chip will underwrite that. I, I right. called it. <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, maybe we'll go to the uh, maybe the literal million dollar question. Um, you know, we understand where the pricing is, uh, you know, generally in the reps and warranty space. Are these deals, um, can you maybe describe a little bit the pricing? You know, are these deals priced? Uh, much higher than the regular deals? Is the retention structure the same? How did the kind of economics of these deals work? Yeah, I would say, and, you know, pricing is just, is a bit of a moving target right now across the industry generally. But I mean, I'd say healthcare, yes. I mean, it's always going to be elevated over over a non-healthcare deal. I mean, I, I think you're looking at probably a minimum of maybe 40, 50 basis points higher for healthcare. Um, I think that you're, you know, it's the rates probably going to be in the fours, if not, you know, depending on the size of the deal and the sector, you might get into the fives or even low sixes. I mean, I think at the end of last year, it had really increased a lot and it's, it's come down from there, but you know, there is, you know, there is risk on these deals. And so, you know, the pricing is, is definitely going to be higher. Um, retentions is, that's a bit of a tough one. I mean, I, you know, blue chip has, uh, Blue chip has done some things with retentions on deal where there's a lot of government pay. Maybe we could have a separate, you know, higher retention for billing and coding or something like that. That's, you know, depending on how much, you know, how much interest a broker gets on a deal. That's something that may be, you know, palatable or a way to, you know, get to meaningful coverage, having, you know, a separate retention. Um, but I haven't seen, you know, I, I do still see generally retentions being, kind of 1% for healthcare deals, uh, you might not see a 0.75% retention on a, you know, $300 million deal the way you would on a non-healthcare deal. But um, I would say you're not really seeing huge retentions unless there's like a big billing and coding risk or something like that, where you might have some kind of standalone layer to kind of protect us. And do you and your underwriting practice, do you have any is it just the same as the regular deals where you like make a judgment call based on the underwriting and the risk and the retention, if there's a special retention or there's going to be an exclusion or are there any things that you're particularly sensitive to in the healthcare space that would be more likely to result in an exclusion? Just, I don't know, because the history of claims or risk or whatever the case might be. Yeah. I mean, not necessarily from a claims perspective, but there are just certain things where 
we will usually just exclude outright. So, you know, professional liability and medical malpractice. Yeah, we see know, that excluded in like every MBIO on the healthcare deals. Yeah. I, think, yeah. I mean, like there may be, you know, if it's if it's a dental deal and they're not doing oral surgery, if it's just, you know, cleanings and things like that, maybe we could sit excess no broader, but, you know, that would really be kind of the, the extent of it if we did. I think our, our position is that, you know, medical malpractice and those types of things are sort of not what the policy is intended to cover. Right, right. Yeah. COVID, you know, I mean, that's obviously, I, I think maybe in other sectors, there's more of a willingness now to underwrite COVID. I, I think with healthcare, there's still maybe a little more hesitation around that. And, you know, PPP loans and other COVID related benefits, that's just oh, sure. yeah. not going to be covered. I think that's an area that's just ripe for enforcement over the next couple of years for healthcare and other sectors. But um, everything else I think is going to be pretty deal specific uh, in terms of what gets you know excluded at the submission phase or, or what comes out of underwriting. Yeah, right. that makes sense. Well, I think that, I mean, I think that's an excellent overview of the, uh, of the state of the, you know, healthcare market for reps warranty insurance and what uh, folks can expect there. And I've really appreciated the really terrific uh, overview, overview you've given us of that, uh, Jonathan, this has been, I think, very helpful for everybody. So, um, so, you know, I think we'll switch now and transition into our, uh, what we call on the show, once more under the breach, our Shakespearean <laughs> Uh, three final <laughs> questions that we ask all of the guests here. So I'll kick it off here. Um, and the first one that we had for you was the biggest change that you think we will see in reps and warranty insurance in the next year. Um, that's a really good question. I don't know. Using my my crystal ball, I'm I'm not sure. I think you know what what we may see is may, maybe a little more you know use of technology in, in underwriting. I think that's something that a lot of a lot of markets are looking at. I mean, it's this is a tough business. You know, you can't, you know, it, it's tough for a, you know, a machine to underwrite a deal like this, but I think there are tools that can be used and uncovered, you know, to, to help with submissions and the underwriting process. I think that's, you know, a, a big change that that you might see that you might see ahead in the next year. Actually, I think we're going to have a podcast on the increased use of technology soon. So you have just previewed for our audience some of the go. upcoming yeah. episodes. <laughs> nice. So, I, so we agree with you that we do think that that is coming off in the next 12 months. <laughs> yes. We're all, if we're all wrong, we're all wrong. So, you know. Right. <laughs> all right. And then what is our second question here? What is the best or biggest or important piece of career advice you would give someone who's interested in working in, you know, transactional risk? Yeah, I mean, so for, I mean, as an underwriter, I think, you know, I think what makes someone good at underwriting, what makes, what I like about the job is, you know, you have to be, I think, just generally curious about, you know, different types of businesses, how they work. I mean, you've got to be interested in all different types of sectors, you know, different laws, because you really become, you know, you really become a generalist. Like when I, you know, when I was at Winston, I was, you know, also a generalist doing corporate work, but I never, you know, I didn't know anything about employee benefits laws or, you know, tax. Things like <laughs> that. So, I mean, I think you have to be really kind of curious about all of that and interested in yes. different types of businesses and how they work. I think that's a really important, really important trait for it for someone on the yes. underwriting side. I agree. And as I like to tell our tax specialists, I'm like a tax lawyer and they agree that I'm like a tax lawyer <laughs> because you learn so much 
just from being even underwriting counsel. I know lots about ERISA affiliates and 1094Cs and 1095s that would never come up in my day-to-day practice. So right. I think that's very good advice. Yeah. Well, Hi, Brian. Yeah. So we have this mystery fund question. This is uh, not something that uh, that Jonathan knows about ahead of time. This is our uh, sneak attack, but we um, thought uh, <laughs> we're on the cusp of summer whenever we're actually ta- taping this episode and with summer upon us that uh, usually leads people to uh, want to have ice cream and other sorts of treats like that. And um, I don't know, maybe Jonathan is lactose intolerant and this is going to be a big uh, thud of a question, but we thought the mystery fun question would be, what's your favorite type of ice cream in the summer, Jonathan? Or yeah. dairy-free sorbet. There's <laughs> or plenty of options for our lactose intolerant friends. Yeah. I'm not, yeah, I'm not <laughs> lactose intolerant. I, you know, if I was, I don't know that that would stop me either. Cause I, I, like, yeah, I, but I, I think I have to go chocolate. I don't know. I think I'm, uh, I've always been a big traditionalist. Uh, yes, very much so. Yeah. Um, so. There you go. That, that there's some, there's some like secret, some you know personality thing with a risk person saying I'll just take chocolate, right? You know. So, <laughs> what's yours? I don't. Think yeah, I was, so I was gonna. I was gonna say I actually don't know this about <laughs> Jenna either. So my favorite ice cream is probably chocolate chip cookie dough. If I was this sort of pick one. Nice. Like what that. about you, Jenna? You have some exotic one, I'm sure. No, I don't. I mean, I'm like, I'm a big chocolate fan. So, you know, chocolate, chocolate, chocolate chip, chocolate, mint, coffee. I mean, I, I just like ice cream, but I was going to say that I most like ice cream on cake. And when it's on cake and the cake is chocolate, then I prefer usually vanilla ice cream to balance out all that deliciousness. So I feel like that's an, an over an often overlooked element of ice cream when you put it on cake. And so I just want to make sure that everybody is not forgetting about it and those circumstances. Jenna's giving all of us a hint as to what she expects on her birthday this year. Right. I feel like you were very prepared for that question too. (laughs) I just, I'm like very focused on ice cream and dessert. (laughs) (laughs) It's something that we've discussed before. So, well, um, we're, we're very focused on healthcare today on the show and thank you again, Jonathan. um, Thank you. We really appreciate it. This has been a really uh, terrific discussion about a very important topic. And um, if you want to give any of the listeners your contact information or if they have any other questions for you or like to discuss any deals uh uh the way to get in touch with you yeah absolutely if uh if anyone's uh still listening to me drone on about healthcare and has questions feel free to email me at jonathan sprints at bluechipunderwriting.com or you can email you know anyone else on the blue chip team and we'd be happy to talk through any any specific questions okay great well that's uh that's terrific and we hope people uh contact you with lots of deals and um, uh, go to you as one of the authorities on healthcare. So I really appreciate that. So, well, Jenna, um, I think we've uh, made it through another episode here of conferences and people we didn't know and ice cream and all kinds of fun topics. So uh, it's uh, been a pleasure again to do another podcast with you. Well, thank you, Brian. And thank you, Jonathan. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Great. Well, thank you to our listeners and until next time. Thank you for listening to Into the Breach. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, please visit rwipodcast.com. The views and opinions expressed by Brian O'Keefe and Jenna Usenheimer in this podcast are their own 
and do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Cyfarth Shaw, LLP, its partners, or its employees. The podcast does not provide legal or other professional services. This podcast is made available by the lawyer publishers for educational purposes only, as well as to give you general information and a general understanding of the law, not to provide specific legal advice. By listening to this podcast, you understand that there is no attorney-client relationship between you and the lawyer publishers. The podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state. As defined in the State Bar of New York's Code of Professional Responsibility, this podcast is considered a form of attorney advertising. Prior results do not guarantee similar outcomes.